Hello and welcome to another episode of our fun and wonderful little show. Today's guest is Danny Howe. Danny is a marketing wizard and the host of the podcast Spend Culture Stories, which interviews different businesses, CFOs, and uh, is, a, is a podcast on finances while putting a, an entertaining and fun twist on it. Um, Danny is uh, such a kind, thoughtful, uh, generous, and intelligent person. Although she, one of her tactics is self-deprecation. Um, you know, I love when people say, when you ask them a question, they're like, I'm probably not qualified to answer this. And then they go on to say something just simply profound. Yeah, that's something that she does, and I love it. Um, there's so much that I got out of this conversation and I believe you'll get out of it. One of the things is, uh, different cultural perspectives on things like mental health. Uh, Danny comes from a, a Chinese background and their views on mental health. We talk a lot about the duality of, of society. And, um, just another thing is that another big piece is, is seeing again, how we're more similar than we are different. And when we start to, to see that and remind ourselves of that, I think that we can get a lot more solutions and we'll get conflicts. So thank you once again for listening and uh, I hope you enjoy. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. This is an open mind. And you're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. Hello, we have uh, Danny Howe with us today. How you doing, Danny? I'm good, Robert. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Um, in, in my introduction, I mentioned how uh, we met through very interesting circumstances. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about where we met? Yeah, absolutely. So I met Robert actually at a um, guided meditation, mm -hmm. and it was really interesting. It was a ceremonial setting. And we went through the experience together and, you know, we connected and your Robert was telling me about how he hosts a podcast. And I'm like, well, I do a podcast too. So we shared that. And he was like, why don't you go on my podcast? I'm like, why not? So that's how we met. <laughs> what, what is your, your podcast again? Yeah. So my podcast is like super niche. So I'm not sure mm -hmm. if your listeners would be interested. Um, it's called Spend Culture Stories. Essentially, we talk about the stories behind you know, companies, organizations, and CFOs. So it's very finance oriented, kind of boring, but you know, I try to make it more fun and interesting. <laughs> so who's, who's some people that maybe I might know, or perhaps listeners might know that you've, you've had on your show? Yeah. So for example, we had the CFO at Drift, which is like a pretty big tech company in the States. Um, we've had CFO from Unbounce, which is like a local Vancouver company. Sorry, the director of finance there. Um, who else do we have? We've had the uh, previous director of Procure to Pay, which is like a super niche title once again, um, from Coca-Cola, who's been on the podcast. Very business-oriented podcast, but for mm -hmm. any accountants in the room, like that's definitely something you might want to listen to. Well, we, we, uh, we interviewed the professor of economics at UBC, and uh, it was super interesting because when I think of economics, <clears throat> I was just thinking like it's like, I was thinking finance when I thought economics. 
Right. And that's not really what economics is. Economics is very much like a, it's like a social science, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Right. Whereas Definitely. finance is a little bit more numerical, I guess. Yeah. It's really interesting that you put it that way. Cause I feel like um, economics is almost like a scope of how the world works and how everything kind of connects together in terms of the economy and then um, in the market. Whereas finance, it's more about, you know, how do you allocate the best resources within an organization or within like a company and how do you make decisions moving forward? So I think there's definitely a lot of parallels to it, but um, when it comes to finance, I feel like it's a little bit more um, context-based where you actually have to understand the company versus, you know, economics where you can kind of see trends just based on, you know, everyday life. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and there's this very human element in it where I thought that economics was just so cold and quantifiable. Yeah. It's very much qualitative in the sense of like, how are these people being affected by these things? So really, I, it, it left me thinking like, oh man, I should have done more economics in school. But <laughs> Same here, man. <laughs> uh, so, so you're, you're 25 and you're a host of this podcast, which is awesome. Uh, what, what made you get into this? So I always believe that people have different ways of learning. And I think it's so important to give people a platform to showcase, you know, what they've learned and also um, not just within their careers, but also being able to be themselves. And, you know, for the super finance um, niche, a lot of the content that's out there is very dry and boring. So basically, um, if you want to be an accountant, it's almost like going to law school. You have to pass like the CPA exams and then you get your designation. And that process is very tedious. And post CPA, you actually have to actually get like a certain number of credits or a certain number of hours to keep that certificate. So the courses that they have to take are like super boring. And I wanted to <laughs> make content for accountants that was actually consumable and you know fun to listen to. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of podcasts going on about finance or accounting that, that approaches it in a fun way. So I'm like, why not just make one? If there's not one, you can make one. Good for you. Yeah. So how many, how many listeners would you say you, you, you have in this? Cause niche, niche means specific, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it's specific in the sense that it's a podcast based on, it's a podcast for accountants, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, so how many, how many people would you say are, are listening to this? We have around 500 people that listen to um, the launch of the episode within the first week. So normally we get the most listens within the first week and then it kind of tailors down a little bit, but sometimes we like reshare an episode. um, If it's timely, for example, like we did an interview with a CFO that talked about the economic downturn back when the coronavirus first started. And now, you know, it's super relevant again, because people are talking about, Oh, what's going to happen in 2021. What if there's another wave? So we reshare that episode now that it's relevant again. And, and in these, in the speculative, uh, when that there was a downturn in the market, were these like when when did that episode come out? Because March was the sort of critical mass of right of the coronavirus. Yeah. So totally. When when did this episode come out? I think it was April or something like that. Okay. So this is where the companies really started to ramp up. Oh shoot, we have to like change yeah. things up, but they had no idea, so they were looking to uh, other people on what are you doing? What are you doing? So right. we thought that was a great opportunity to start sharing these stories out there because 
people are all looking for, you know, ways to actually save their companies and they all feel so alone. And this is a way for them to connect through the pain, right? And get through this together. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because I mean, I think we're all in this kind of this shit storm for lack of a better word together, but yet we all feel so alone in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we're all experiencing the same thing, which kind of tailors into what we we're originally going to talk about. But yet we all like we're all experiencing the same thing, yet we're all feeling isolated by it. Or or at least that's mm -hmm. the theme. So what what is this sort of the solution to that that you found? Mm. It's really interesting because even like going back to the podcast, what I asked him about, what do you think is the biggest challenge throughout this period of time? And what do you think is the biggest challenge going forward into 2021? It wasn't anything business related, actually. You know, a lot of these leaders, even though they're business leaders, um, they're still human. And they're like, the thing that has been challenging is actually getting people motivated and getting people to feel like they, I guess, safe. Because, you know, um, not everybody is used to doing this whole Zoom work from home business. People are naturally very social. And for those that already have some, you know, mental health issues or people who have depression, this kind of isolation really takes a toll on them and takes a toll on their personal mental health and also their work productivity. So as like business leaders, they're like, how do we support these people in a very compassionate way? So we actually talked a lot about that. That's awesome. Yeah, well, so I'm a school counselor and I work with, uh, you know, children from kindergarten to grade seven and beyond. Mm -hmm. um, and as you mentioned, there's this whole work from home piece. Let me tell you that education does not work through Zoom interviews with children. They have a, 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 an attention span of about, depending on their age, you know, seven to 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. And then they're just... You know, and who could blame them, right? So I would be having conversations over the phone with them and doing the Zoom thing. And some of them, it was like, this is, you could see that they've never had to really do this before. Whereas when I was growing up, not to sound like, you know, back in my day, <laughs> but that's what you do. You talk on the phone with people. And uh, so, but, but some kids, I mean, they really enjoyed it because you know, like you say, they just needed somebody to talk to because when they're, you know, kids aren't meant to be isolated, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. They so, missed their friends. Yeah. And, and then, and there wasn't really, and through all of this, there hasn't been, it's been rather arbitrary in the sense of there's not really a consistent response. And I think the lack of the consistency is super problematic for so many mm -hmm. people. For example, there's these, have you heard of the anti-maskers? Oh my gosh, yes. They just did a present, uh, sorry, a presentation protest or something in downtown Vancouver. Yes. Crazy. Did you, did you so what, did, what was your sort of takeaway on that? Um, so I saw a notice actually that my mom sent me and being, you know, a person of color and also being someone who is a supporter of wearing masks, I was actually a little bit worried because- right. You know, it wasn't just the anti-masker movement. It was also a lot of the other movements that were associated with it. For example, like white supremacists and yes. also, you know, racists in general. So she was like, maybe you should stay away from downtown Vancouver in the, that weekend just for the fact that, you know, you're an Asian female and you also wear a mask. She was afraid that I was actually going to get in trouble. 
Well, you, you know what? You are very much a warrior, right? <laughs> like, you, you know, when I first met you, uh, I don't know, was it a month ago? Let's say, say a month. I think it was a month ago, yeah. And, and you have this feistiness to you that I have a lot of admiration for. Oh, Is that you. what she was worried about? That you would be like, what the hell are you guys doing? Yeah, she was afraid that, you know, people are going to come walk up to me and say something. And then, you know, I would try to talk back or she would she would be scared of them being actually physically confrontative. And she's like, oh, you maybe you should just stay away just in case. And when you heard that, what did that make you think? I was like, you know what? Like, I think um, it's important for people to have freedom of speech to like a certain extent. I think if you're, you know, saying things to hurt other people or doing things that will affect other people in a negative way, then I do believe that there needs to be a line that's drawn. And I think like a lot of like these anti-maskers and a lot of like the white supremacists, um, if they want to like, you know, have their own conversations in their own group privately, go for it. But when they're in a public setting, that's when I don't believe that's acceptable is especially living in a society like Canada, where it's about multiculturalism yes. and mutual acceptance. Yeah. I, I like what you said about freedom of speech. And it's not necessarily that there should be limitations, but there should definitely be rules on freedom of speech because anything that's like freedom isn't free as the saying mm -hmm. goes, right? Like there has you like freedom what does that mean well it doesn't mean that you're free to steal cars right there's still laws <laughs> right definitely there's consequences and i think that the limitation of freedom of speech is bigotry right that's the one thing that we're really afraid of and when you try to suppress bigotry or when you try to suppress certain things that people say that can make them more reactive so mm. it's almost like we need to be able like freedom of speech, but it has to be like rational speech. Like it can't just be like, you know, this group, they're all like that, like this kind of emotionally charged trying to get a rise out of you. It has to be kind of like an open dialogue, freedom of speech. If mm. I don't know if that makes, I don't know if that makes sense or what you think about that, but I'm curious. I totally, I totally get what you mean, Robert. Like I think um, there's, the people that try to, you know, prove a point as in this is, this is me, I'm right and try to convince people versus the people that are trying to say what they think and have a conversation with somebody else. Like you mentioned, it's a two way street. Mm -hmm. But um, I think when it comes to like these protests, they're very much in your face. They're trying to show you that this is actually the way that you should be thinking. And that's, that's my problem with it. I have no problems with having like a conversation with someone that actually, you know, ask them, hey, um, why do you think masks will not protect you from the coronavirus? If you don't think masks are a good option, then how are you protecting yourself? That's a two-way street. Not, right. oh, um, masks are bad. You're taking away our freedom just because you like, we're you're, wearing masks. You're brainwashed. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> like, just relax here, right? Very but, accusatory. And, and here, here to me is really where the problem lies. And this, and I apologize to my listeners, as I know this is one of my talking points, but- so if the right, because really we are looking at this kind of tribalism, right? This right and mm -hmm. left and, and neither side is talking, they're shouting, right? Yeah. So, but if the, if the right has to have some rules, then the left does too. And this sort of, I have such a problem with cancel culture. People say mm -hmm. things and they're like, oh God, why did I say that? 
And then it's like we try to to judge, jury, and executioner them. And yeah. that to me reinforces the other side. So there's this weird song and dance going on between the two that because of their behaviors, they're enabling the the further, you know, the propagation of how they are, right? One hundred percent. Like I can't agree with you more, Robert. I think like there's well, I don't want to say this word fault, but there's definitely ego on both sides, right? It's like yes, having um, an idea that my moral judgment is better than the other person's. Mm. And I think that's where the problem lies. It's not about what your belief is per se. Um, well, part of it is it's like, okay, well, is your belief in the right and good intentions of the greater good? That's one thing. But the other thing is like, when are you talking from the ego or when are you talking from a point of this is actually what I believe and I want to have a conversation with you. Okay. So tell us, tell us a little bit more. And and I think this is what kind of pulled us into that ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> is the, is the ego. So what, what is the ego? Oh man, that's a, that's a heavy question. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer this per se, but um, I'll just well, say it, it in my own it, words. It, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the ego is not really you. It's an extension of you. So um, when you're speaking on, when you're speaking from your ego, it's more of you're trying to be right. You're trying to be morally above other people, as in you're standing on a pedestal. That's kind of like the ego speaking, but you are not your ego. I think like once we're able to be conscious of our actions and our words, we can actually step beyond our ego and actually step into our genuine self. And I truly believe that everybody has it in them to be a just and um, good person, as in they want to do good for society, they want to do good for their families and friends. But it's the ego that sometimes gets in the way because you feel insecure. You want to make sure that you know you feel safe. And sometimes feeling safe means having these arbitrary walls, having you know these, I guess, radical opinions to make you feel like you're morally superior than other people. And that's the problem that I have with it. There's this book that I recently started, and, and that's a wonderful answer. That's a wonderful answer. Thank you. You don't need to have a PhD in, uh, you know, in philosophy to answer what you think something means to you, right? Because there's that's a, true. I believe that the human mind, human society, culture is incredibly, is easily persuaded, right? Mm-hmm. We need look no further than, you know, the Jim Crow, the the rise of the third Reich in Germany, you know, people are easily, they're easily influenced. Yeah. So, and, and, and therefore, so are I, so are our ideas. Now there's this book that I, I recently started listening to. It's called cast or yeah. Mm-hmm. Cast. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't heard of it. Well, in India, there's a caste system. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the untouchables. Ah, oh, the caste system. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So in India, there's this group called the untouchables and it's an ancient system. It's been around for over a thousand years and people are born into groups. And if you're Mm. born as an untouchable, it's like you're, you're born into poverty and that's just the way it is. Mm. And you you hear that and you're like, that's so wrong. And then the thesis statement so far where I am in this book is saying that the same thing exists here in the United States and North America in this, in this caste system, right? We mm-hmm. have like a racial caste system. 
but we don't call it that. It's, it's just how we perceive and interact with different cultures. I don't know what your, your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I feel like there's, um, I guess it's not really explicit in the way that it comes right. out in North America, because there is an identity of pride. I think um, living in a multicultural society like Canada or the United States, where you try to think, oh, well, we're multicultural. We can't possibly be racist when all of our values as a society are propagating you know, equality. But sometimes there's systematic racism that actually is embedded within you know, how the way society works. You're just not aware because you're in a position of privilege. Or perhaps there's tendencies that come out and you're not aware of it, but it's actually racist. It just, you know, you might not know you are being racist. Right, right. And, and um, this author that, I, that I've read, his name's Ibram Kendi. Guy's unreal. He's a rock star. And we have this idea that if we're racist, like that we just automatically, we get defensive, we get our backs up. But yeah. it's like, well, well, hold on. Let's, let's maybe just look at that because this might just be, again, going back to, like you say, the ego, you're just, you're easily influenced by an idea that you mm-hmm. don't even really see it. Like you're, it's like you got blinders on, but once you kind of hundred percent you're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I kind of am starting to see this. But human beings like to live comfortably, I think. Mm, definitely. But, but comfort betrays, you know. I don't you know. don't grow from comfort. That's the thing. Exactly. Right. And that yeah. to me is the problem is that we are so comfortable in our little bubbles, you know, again, kind of tying into coronavirus. We are comfortable in our bubbles, but that's just not, I don't know. To me, that's not how living uncomfortably. That's when you're like, that's when you're living. I don't know. That's, that's what I think. I don't know about you, but. Oh man, I totally believe that. Um, I don't know where I read this quote, but it said that human beings have two lives and Mm. you know, the first one you live, you kind of go about it. And the second one actually starts when you realize you actually have one. So it's almost like a mental awakening and consciousness awakening when you start to realize, you know, morality, sorry, mortality as it is. And also um, that you can be more than who you are today. It's not just about cruising. It's not about, you know, being, a, being comfortable, as you mentioned, but how do I actually push myself out of my comfort zone? And how do I actually be open-minded? I, I love language, by the way. I took a linguistics course, so um, I'm all about like the word roots mm. and the, even the words open-minded, right? It's like, how do you actually open and expand mm. your mind to become a better person tomorrow? I think that's such a beautiful concept. So are you talking about the, the etymology, like the origin of words? I'm talking about like even the words open-minded, right? It's two right. words put together. Yes, I see what you're saying, yes. Yeah. Open your mind to insinuating that before that moment, your mind was closed. Exactly. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's a story that I love. Have you ever read Plato's allegory of the cave? I have not. Oh, check that out. Oh, I should read that. It's like a 2,500 year old story or whatever. And the matrix was based off of it. Like so many movies are based off this story. And it's about this guy who's in a cave and he's seeing these symbols on, on like a cave wall. They're fake, right? And then he's mm-hmm. released and he's in a room with a bunch of other prisoners. He's released. He leaves and he goes out into the real world. 
and he's like, this is unreal. And oh, he comes nice. back and he's like, guys, come check it out. The, the real world's like back here. And yeah. Like, no, go away. We, we like what we're seeing on the wall. And if you try to free us, we'll kill you. Oh, wow. Is that not what we're kind of experiencing today? That's basically what it is. That's like such a good, um, I guess, analogy or metaphor mm-hmm. of the world as it is. There's a similar phrase in Chinese as well. Yes. It's called Jing Di Jiwa, um, which essentially means the frog in the well. So it's a story about a frog that's basically on the bottom of a well. And he thinks that the world is just round and it's just full of stars. And then um, other frogs who are outside of the well, they come look at him. And they're like, oh, my God, there's this beautiful world that you have never seen before. But he's like, no, I'm good down here. I can see the beautiful sky. That's basically the world. It's, it's round. That's all it is. They're like, no, it's not. Like, you just need to hop outside of the well to do that. And he's like, ah, I'm good. Very similar story. <laughs> right. From a different culture. Yeah. Wait, isn't that interesting that uh, Socrates or, Ale- or Plato was ancient Greece. So this is understood as Western, you know, the, the, the Western civilization. Mm-hmm. But then in Chinese culture, there's the story of the frog in the well. I mean, isn't it interesting how across cultures, there's these similar tidbits of wisdom? Yeah, I love that. And it really just means that human beings um, as a whole, we're still a collectivist society. And I feel like when we start to realize and be conscious that we can become a better person through our thoughts and through, you know, stripping away the ego as it is, I feel like we come to very similar conclusions. It's just the way that we call it is very different. A hundred percent. Like really, when you think about it, we're more alike than we are dissimilar. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Um, you, and, and this is something that I wanted to talk about because you'd mentioned about mental health and things like that and different cultures have sort of viewed mental health differently. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was growing up, um, being a male in a in this in a Scottish family, there was a lot of pride, or at least mm-hmm. I I interpreted it as pride. So I was very stoic, and I went through a lot of things in my life, and I never really talked about it. And that had a, that had a huge impact on me, but in a positive way, because now I'm doing this right. And, and, and really everything happens for a reason, but that was my sort of experiences. Now, when we did our ceremony, you had mentioned in your culture that there's some, there's some stigmatisms around mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really interesting topic because like, we don't even have technically a word that's called mental health. Even the words mental health, when you actually translate in Chinese is mental illness. So that kind of stigmatization is very intense. So for example, when we try to say, oh, this person has some mental, um, I guess, health issues that they need to sort out, there isn't a word to actually call that. There's no terminology. It's actually just called jingshenbing, which the word jingshen, it's from from the mental mind as in like being a patient or as in being ill right yeah and um there's a huge stigma around it because like within the chinese society especially from the roots of taoism and confucianism it's about one being very collectivist you know um your elders are 
your elders are above all. That's one thing. And another thing also is that you should not be sharing your problems with the rest of the world. You should actually solve them yourself and be viewed mental, um, I guess, unwellness or mental illnesses as being problems. You should not be sharing that with other people. And um, I guess because my family has like a blend of Western and Chinese culture, since we came to Canada pretty early, it's not as prevalent for me, but for a lot of my friends back in China, mm. they're even scared of talking to their parents about their true feelings. And their parents don't do that either. <laughs> so it, then it's like, what do you do, I guess? And, <laughs> exactly. and, and what, do, what do your friends living in, in China, what, what do they do to sort of figure out their mental, uh, their mental health? So that's kind of one of the problems, right? It's why, um, you know, in a lot of countries in Asia, suicide rates are really right. high and also stress rates are really high. And I think um, it's also reflected in their way of consumption for a lot of young uh, Chinese people because they have a really stressful work schedule because they don't really believe in work-life balance there. And they also have, you know, the mental health issues that they have to deal with themselves. A lot of times they would... Um, they would be mindless consuming, whether it comes to media or whether it comes to mm. buying things, because they're trying to fill this void in their heart because they don't have a way of releasing that. So a lot of um, the young people, especially today, uh, they're buying into this idea of that money will buy you happiness and that the higher you climb up the corporate ladder, the more secure you're going to feel both physically and also mentally. But obviously, that's not really the reality of things. Well, <laughs> That's a funny thing about more is all you want is more of it, right? Exactly. Yes. There's there's a there's an interesting exercise. Is there anything that you want right now? Like that you really want? I'll give you, I'll tell you what. Okay, so there's this video. I love video games. And I don't even have time yeah. for it. So why even buy a video game? I have a 13-month-old child. <laughs> uh, but there's this one called Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. It's a new one that's out. And it's like 60 bucks. And it's like, oh, I really want that. Now, a really cool exercise is in willpower and just seeing how your mind works is you don't buy that thing. And then mm. you see how often that thought creeps up and you really try to uh, justify it, right? You're like, oh yeah, I'll get it or whatever. But it's just like, it becomes a craving. And Buddhism talks about cravings. And once you, you know, fill that craving, what happens? Next one. <laughs> exactly. Right. So yeah. that's, that's a challenge I, I give to anybody is if you see something you really want, resist it and see how often that it starts to creep up. It's just, mm. it's, it's so wild because realistically, what am I going to do with this thing? I'm not going to have any time to play this game. Right. So I, I don't know. Is there something that, that you're really like, craving and that you're exercising your willpower in, or do you have a lot of willpower? Oh man, I work on this every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, um, I'm pretty proud to say I've passed the, I guess the time in which I used to crave like, Oh, I want to buy this new outfit. You know, being a girl, yes. like, oh, I want to buy that. I want to buy yeah. this. I think I've passed that period of my life, but now it's more of craving like Ooh. travel, especially during this time. Mm. Um, I love travel. So I, I feel a little bit trapped sometimes, but I also know that I should actually just be grateful for where I am right now. Not everybody's as happy as me to be, 
you know, quote unquote, stuck in Canada, you know, such right. a beautiful place and being able to see, you know, Vancouver for what it is. But that that's a craving that I've been trying to, I guess, come into terms with is that I'm not stuck per se. It's just I'm temporarily here. So why not enjoy it? So it sounds like your solution to the cravings and this kind of consumption, this idea of consumption is the practice of gratitude. Absolutely. Yes, that's right. it. Right. Yeah, yeah. I remember that guy um, at our retreat where that was essentially his entire journey. He wanted to unlock more abundance. And that yes. was the key that he found out. Exactly. Yeah. So, wow. You know, that's almost something that you got to sit with. Like, am I being grateful? And mm -hmm. when you're grateful, you have, you will always have enough. That's so true. Right. Wow. Okay. That was great. Thank you for that. Yeah. So yeah. you talked about uh, when we had met face, is it face culture? Yes. Face culture. Mm -hmm. And this, and what, what is that exactly? Is that the. Yeah. So it's almost like a personal pride, but also a collectivist pride. Right. So face culture, essentially I'm trying to explain in my own terms. Once again, um, it's almost like an embarrassment for being judged. Right. So um, going back to the mental health issues, if you have mental health issues, it's almost shameful to actually share this with other people because then you're scared that other people will judge you for not being sound of mind. And that's something that is really serious in Chinese culture is if you're sound of mind because that then society views you as a responsible person. And when you're viewed as a responsible person in Chinese culture, that's when the opportunities come to you. So a lot of people are actually very scared to show their true emotions, to share their true opinions. And this is reflected not just in the familial life, but also in professional life, where they might not actually, they might not be empowered to share their true feelings in a work setting, and they might not even want to share ideas because they're scared of face. So that's really serious because how do you actually move forward or innovate or have real and honest conversations if the face culture is getting in front of it, right? So, so face culture is kind of like, you just want to kind of, you want to blend in. You don't want to stick out, right? If yeah, everyone's wearing a black it. suit, you're not wearing a pink suit kind of thing. Exactly. It literally, um, the words, oh, it means embarrassing, but means to lose. And then lian means face. So when something ah. embarrassing happens, it's literally like, oh, I lost my face. How do I show my face to the world? Got, it's a funny right. expression. It's like shame. Yes, it's shameful. Like shame. Yeah. So because mm. the, the expression that comes to mind in in you know in, in the English language is save face. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's definitely it. Right. So 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 that's a connection to that. Now it's interesting because yesterday I met with a uh, a clinical psychologist and I did this. Have you ever heard of EMDR? EMDR, no. Okay, so it's yeah. really crazy. It's these lights and you follow the lights and you almost go into like a REM state. And as you're following, the, it's like, it's it's kind of like a- It's a hypnosis? It borrows on that. And then you're holding okay. onto these buzzers and they vibrate as it goes from side to side. And what it does is it, it tries to help you get past something that you're stuck on. So if say you went through a really bad breakup You'd focus on that. If you're in an accident, you'd focus on that. And, and that's what I was doing. But I've done so much processing in my life because really I, I wanted to do it for, 
the purposes of my work and understanding different things. But I've done so much work in my life that I was just able to like, I don't think it was working for me, but I could see how it worked for somebody. And I paid like, mm-hmm. this was like $400 to do this, right? So it was like, oh shit. Oh, wow. So maybe I could save <laughs> listeners $400. Uh, but afterwards he talked to me about, I think what I'm experiencing, like I think what I'm working through is shame and guilt mm. and how I have an overabundance. I can defect to shame when I make a mistake. And it sounds like this face culture ties heavily into the idea of shame. Yes. Mm-hmm. That you're shaming your family, that you're shaming, you know, your, your community, so on and so forth. And I think that while it's different between China and here, there's certainly parallels. Once again, that I think people are working through a lot of shame. I know I I know I am. So I don't know what your thoughts are, but I definitely see that. I think it's about, you know, this um this deep level of insecureness but inside us, right? We don't want to we don't want to make make other people um think of us in a bad way. We want to obviously put ourselves in a good light and that shame, I think shame honestly is probably one of the worst feelings you can have when it comes to like the pain meter, right? Yes. Yeah. I feel like sadness even is not as bad as shame because sadness, I feel like sometimes we, we're able to get beyond that for sadness. You know, you might want to watch a movie you like, maybe you see someone you love, you're like, okay, I'm good. Shame is something that sticks in you for quite a long time. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people hold on to past trauma is there's shame involved in letting go of it. So how would you, how would you define shame in, in your perspective? Mm. I think, um, hmm, trying to think of the best words to say this. Hmm. I think shame is something that makes you feel less than who you are. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. really, okay. Now this, this uh, psychologist, I'm like, words are slipping my mind right now. So he looked at the do the these two things: there's shame and there's guilt. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you think guilt is? I... Hmm. Guilt. I feel like it's a little bit more of a disappointment to oneself, like you failed oneself. Okay, I like that because yeah. because I've never really thought of this. This is how he described it. So this is $450 worth of knowledge right here. So get ready for oh, this. Oh, here we go. I'm going <laughs> to open my ears here. <laughs> so he tells me that Shane, he gives, you, he gives me a scenario. So say he's driving his car and he backs up into me, hits my car, right? Yeah. And I get out and I say, oh man, doctor, you know, you hit my car. You got to pay for it. Yep. No problem. I'll pay for it. You know, I made a mistake. I'll pay for it. That's guilt. Like, I made a mistake. This is what I need to do to rectify it. But shame mm-hmm. is if I get out, I'm like, what the hell is the matter with you? You're so stupid. It's when I'm attacking mm. him and trying to destroy him as a person, right? Interesting. I'm, I'm making him inferior, lesser, right? That's shame. Mm-hmm. 
And then he says, that's what we do to ourselves. When we say, I'm such an idiot or I'm such a loser, we're shaming ourselves. Mm-hmm. And he said that that's the biggest thing that we need to get away from, right? Mm-hmm. So when we make a mistake, you take your lumps, but you don't look at yourself as a, as, as a failure. You failed, right? You made, you know, you failed, but you are not a failure. And that's mm-hmm. what kids it's funny because that's what I tell kids, but then it's like, hold on, do I tell myself that, right? That's such a powerful statement. It's yeah. like you didn't ju- you're not a failure. You only failed, but yeah. it doesn't mean you're going to keep on failing. Exactly. But the biggest thing that I've struggled with is perfectionism. Mm. And perfectionism makes people um what's the word again? Procrastinate, right? So because of my perfectionism, I put things off because I want to get it perfect. And if I don't do it, it'll be perfect. Right. Whereas exactly. So, so you just got to do things. Right. And then when people say, Oh man, that was a really great article that you wrote to me, that further enables perfectionism because then you think, okay, every time I write, I have to write a perfect article and that Mm. further disables you from doing what you're good at. So to me, one of my biggest things is just getting away from perfectionism, which is so deeply tied into shame. I don't, I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that, but. I think you have a really good point there, like perfectionism um, tying into shame, because it's like the notion that you will not live up to either your standards or somebody else's standards. And so you label yourself, or maybe you're fearful of someone else labeling yourself as what you mentioned, like a failure. I think also um, based on what you said about what the psychologist said to you, um, I think there's also a difference in the way that you approach it. So for shame, I feel like you are pushing responsibility onto either something else or someone else. Whereas when you feel guilt, you're taking conscious action to actually get past it. So in his example of guilt, um, the person actually stepped out of the car and you know, he felt bad about it, but he also took action. Like, hey, I'll pay for it because it was my fault versus the shame is like, well, it wasn't my fault. So why should I do anything about it? Right. Well, here's the other thing too, is people do things like they get things out of what they do. Take, for example, addictions, right? Yeah. People get things out of that right? That's why they do it. For example, alcoholism, maybe they're doing that because they're trying to escape something. That's why they're, they're in, you know, uh, participating in that behavior. So why do we hold on to shame? Like Mm -hmm. people are getting something out of it. And I wonder, I don't know. I wonder what that is. I don't know either. I don't know if I'm, um, I guess, versed enough in this topic to talk about it, but I guess one of my guesses, it might be that going back to our original point, it's comfortable. Exactly. I feel like there is a point of the pain that we hold on to. The reason why we hold on to it is because it's comfortable. Danny, I couldn't agree with you more, <laughs> right? We, that's why we hold on to these things is because it's what we know. Like, for example, grief, you, mm. you lose somebody that you love I was talking to a friend and she lost somebody very close to her um, and she doesn't want to let that go. Right. She Mm. feels, it sounds like what she's saying is that if she lets that go, 
she's letting that person down. Mm, and that ties into shame. That's so interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I don't even know how I, I, Danny, I told you this would happen. We'd go off on a weird tangent. So <laughs> I love that though. Cause like, uh, you know, letting go of attachments, right. That's going back to the Buddhist roots that you were talking right. about too, where when, once you're attached to something, that's where, that's where pain comes around, right? Like yes. that's dukkha. That's like one of the sufferings. And, you know, um, Buddha always talks about how we always go through this circle of suffering because, you know, we suffer and then we, we learn to let go, but then we get attached to something else. So it's always like a spinning wheel of suffering. Do, can, can you explain that circle of suffering? Yeah, for sure. So basically, um, one of the core um, elements of Buddhism is that there is always suffering in this world. And right. uh, in the Buddhist text, they call this dukkha. So when you're not able to detach yourself from a lot of like the physical pleasures or material pleasures or emotional pleasures of this world, that's what causes suffering. And then um, when you actually get attached to these sufferings, then you go through this entire circle because it never ends. Like the suffering will never end until you're able to fully detach. And that's why like at the very end of the, Bud the Buddhist, I guess, ideals, it's when you reach enlightenment, you're actually fully letting go of the attachments all to this world. So thank you for sharing that. What does that, what does that look like? Have you ever met somebody who has done that? You know what? I think in a lot of religions and, um, Maybe this will offend some people, and I'm going to say it anyways. In a lot of religions, do. it's about uh, <laughs> the metaphorical um, ideals. It's not about literally doing that, but striving towards it. You know, going back to my Chinese roots, even the words Taoism, right? Tao means the way. It mm. will only show you the way, but it's not about getting to the outcome. Because I feel like as human beings, we tend to chase outcomes, and that's the problem. <laughs> when we chase outcomes, we don't get to the outcome we feel this pain, but it's the fact that we attach ourselves to the pain that causes us the pain. Danny, I love that. Buddhism is talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You are more qualified for this job. You know what I mean? For speaking on these subjects than you give yourself credit. Oh, thank you, Robert. We, I don't know. It's talking well, I, out of but, my ass. <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep doing it. Cause, uh, cause I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, my friend. We, I always speak in this sort of like, I speak in this kind of us and them thing like, well, there's so many people that do that, which is such bullshit. It's what I do. You know what I mean? Same like, here. Right? But when I'm, yeah, so many people do that. Well, that's actually me using my, what I do and my perspectives on others. You know what I mean? But yeah. we're so, I just did it right there. Did you see, did you hear that? I'm like, we're so, that was me doing it. I am so focused on the destination, <laughs> not the journey. Mm. right like i do whole, that all the time yeah and like you said it's like in achieving enlightenment it's you never it's a constant process it's like a, once you think you've got it that's when you fucked up exactly right that's such a good point yeah 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 because it's like you're missing the point yep oh yeah no i'm done i'm done i don't need to read one more book i get it <laughs> and yeah that's Going way back to this duality, that's the problem, is that this side thinks they got it and this side thinks they got it. 
hundred percent. And that's why I love the name of your podcast as well, because like once you think you've understood something or everything, there's no more for you to learn. And the right. reality is a lot of us don't really know shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Like go talk to somebody who thinks differently and then come back to me and tell me if you got it all figured out. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The interesting piece too, that you mentioned about religion and this is something that I have such a problem with. It's this idea of, again, going back to, um, well, this is the only way to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Like this belief, this is the, this is the only right belief. Like <laughs> how problematic is that statement? And I've heard it before and, you know, I'll try to avoid this one, but there's a, there's one religion that so many of the followers I have such a hard time with because of they're kind of racist because they're mm -hmm. doing this thing of their culture, their belief is superior than others and others are inferior, which is a racist idea. In my opinion, when yeah. you look at any, if you look at a group as being superior or inferior to you, that's a problem. Yep. I totally agree with that having any sort of hierarchy, I feel like it causes issues in society. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. that's, that's the problem that we're dealing with here. I mean, we really just need to be able to work together. So. It's really interesting too. I think for religions as a concept, because I feel like the root of all religion lies in the philosophy of the religion and not really the rules. But um, as society progressed, I feel like as a way to really control society but giving society some rules and regulations especially because you know politics only started to evolve maybe in like you know ancient Greece or ancient China before people didn't have politics it was about a collectivist society and so they kind of utilize religion as a way to show people here's um, the good way to live in society but then it started to become weaponized and I think that's part of the problem people who are both smart and who have power they started to weaponize religion to actually control others and um, by showing other people and by again giving and feeding the ego of oh if you subscribe to this religion you will be better than those people over there that's what you know mind control is about that's how you mobilize armies that's why the right. crusades happened well and and i'm tying this into intellectuals right like, I love mm -hmm. the name of that group, intellectuals, like as if that's yeah. not problematic, right? <laughs> we're intellectuals, you know, we're academics, you wouldn't understand. And there is this elitism in universities and stuff. And, and that's, you know, sciences. And that's when you get something like flat earthers. You've heard of flat <laughs> earthers? I mean, I love your yeah. background. It's a round earth. And we know it's not a flat earth, but when we say to people like, oh my God, like you're so dumb kind of thing, does that make them want to fall in line? A hundred percent. It's just attacking them. Exactly. It, it, yeah. it further radicalizes them. Going back to, I mean, I, I find it so funny how, um, have you ever heard of intersectionality? Inter like how two things relate together. Yes. Usually yeah. it's, it's used in identity politics. So in uh for for example black lives matter there's black male lives matter and then there's there's the feminist black lives matter right and gotcha. that that's an intersection so that's just a popular example but 
it's interesting these intersections in the anti-maskers and the alt alt right you know what i mean like you can't be an anti-masker and be on the left you must be an anti-masker and be a white supremacist on the right like do do you sort of see what i'm saying it's like this big we're what's the word that i'm looking for are you talking about like correlations between two subsets of people yes these subgroups that might not have any relation, for example, a white supremacist and an anti-masker and anti-vaxxer, right? You know, boom, 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 anti, it seems to have anti in all of them or whatever. <laughs> so, but you put them together and then that's one group. Yeah, I totally right? know what you mean. Yeah. I just find that funny. Anyways, I, w- w- what are your thoughts on that? I think it's funnier that you mentioned everything is anti because that's such a good point. You know, I don't know if you heard of the term law of attraction, Mm. but it's like not about fighting what you don't want. It's actually about what is it that you stand for? And I think the funny thing that sometimes we subject ourselves to and where, where I see other people fall into issues is when you try to fight against something too hard. And when you try to do that, that more of that actually comes to bite you in the ass or you start to notice more of it. But once you are able to pinpoint what is it that I want to stand for, what is it that I want to attract in my life, then your life actually is net positive rather than net negative. I don't know. This is just my personal opinion. I I love that. I I had this uh, thought the other day, which is always dangerous. Um, (laughs) But we love to focus on what's bad. Going back to this idea of shame and we do what's comfortable and all that stuff. I just did it again. We, I... (laughs) <laughs> like to focus on what's bad, like, oh my God, the state of the union, blah, blah, blah. But I'm, I lose sight of what's good. And CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, says that what you think becomes what you feel becomes how you act. Mm, that's so so I should start looking at what's good and start thinking about what's good rather than, you know, all, all the bad things. Not to say that don't be aware of them, like don't not look at the melting ice caps you know that's kind of a big deal but mm-hmm. also think about all the great things that are happening totally so important yeah yeah and that becomes the feedback loop right because when we go on the internet and we go on our chat signs or when i do and i see people like i know what they do they put trump 2020 on like very left posts just to piss people off. Like they're probably not even <laughs> voting for Trump or whatever. Not that it even matters, but they love to see a rise out of people. Right. Yeah. They love to get Triggering a reaction. Them. Yeah. And I, I talked to that about kids, um, which is so funny because I'm, I'm so great at giving advice to others, but it's advice I have a hard time following. But if you don't react to people, what happens? They lose power. They don't do exactly. They don't do what they're going to do. But if they get a reaction, they're going to keep doing it. So when they put Trump 2020 and people start like having a fucking seizure, they're (laughs) just in their computers loving it. Like they're just, you know, the Kermit the Frog sipping the tea or whatever. Yeah, that meme. But when we stop reacting, that's when things start to change. But we're so consumed, so comfortable in our emotions Mm. that therein lies the problem and i am so comfortable in my emotions that therein lies my problem and you've hit it on the top there 
I think it's so like important for everyone to realize this. And I'm still going through this journey myself too. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of, you know, one of my greatest friends and also mentors, he was actually an angel at the ceremony, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. He taught me this really good, I guess, meditation that you start your day with. So he's always talking about, are you above the line or below the line? Because I think we as human beings or as like, you know, you, Robert, or me, Danny, there's a line in which, you know, if you cross that line, you're going to start lashing out at people and you're going to start getting triggered. And sometimes it's just about a bad day. You sometimes wake up and you're like, oh, I know I'm below the line. I know I'm going to have a bad day if I don't step outside of that. So knowing where your line is um, when you start the day and knowing how you can get above the line, that's where I feel like, you know, like you mentioned, you're not going to get stuck in your emotions and you're not going to let your emotions drag you down. Where, how do you get above your line? Like when you're below the line, how do you get above it? So one thing I love talking about, and I've wrote an article about this on Medium before, is turning fear into excitement. I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of times um, our negative emotions are associated with fear and like you mentioned, associated with shame. So when I feel like I'm below the line, I think about what are the things that I'm scared of right now and how can I turn them into something that I would be excited for? And there's a lot of things that will excite you and you should do more of those. So when I'm below the line, I do the things that excite me and I do the things that bring me joy. For example, like I love art, so I paint. Um, I love working out. I would go to the gym and after like a good sweat session, I always feel better. What about you? (laughs) Oh, well, doing this, I love. Yeah, Yeah. I can tell you're really passionate. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yes, I am very passionate. You know, just talk to my wife. She'll be like, Robert, like, you know, but I love getting fired up. But I love getting fired up in like, a, like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. If you know me, you know what I'm talking about. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, exercise is great. And, and I think just being honest with yourself. That's what I need to work on is just being honest with myself. Mm-hmm. And the more that I can be honest with myself, the further I get away from that shame piece. Mm. Because we try totally to. totally right. Yeah, I, I try to lie to myself a lot, right? Like, well, everything's fine. Well, no, it's not. And, and going back to the stoicism thing, like, you know, boys don't cry kind of thing. That's such bullshit. Like, I don't know about you, but I, crying is great. Like, yeah, turn on Marley and me and uh, the dog film. And have a good cry and you feel so much better after. Well, actually, maybe you feel tired because you got rid of all that negative energy. But you will feel better after. At least that's my experiences. Oh, my goodness. That movie. Oh, don't even mention it to me. I've never actually watched it because, uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm hypocritical. But I'm like, no, I, I love dogs <laughs> and I have a dog. The one that always gets me is the Lion King. And when he sees his dad in the stars... And he's like, remember who you are? Oh, oh, I love that part. Yeah. So many good life lessons within Disney movies that now, like when I rewatch them, I realize now that I'm older. Yes. Well, I, I need to do a podcast and you're, you're more than welcome to do it with me on just the Lion King and how important it is. Somebody once said that movie sucks and I nearly got an assault conviction. <laughs> That's a joke. That's course. your trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How dare you? That's the other thing too. This is kind of, this is my last question. Triggers. How, and to me, triggers 
is directly related to the ego. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I definitely think so. I think like um, even the word trigger, right? You know, when you think of a trigger, it's like pulling, pulling a gun. Yes. Well, that's exactly yeah. what I think about. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I've talked to a few of my friends who um, went to this workshop at Burning Man and they actually did a triggers workshop. And I thought the framework was so interesting. So I started doing this with my friends too. And um, basically the facilitator said that there's four main triggers and sometimes you might have other triggers, but the core of it, she thinks is within the four. So one is the trigger of to be seen as. So you get triggered when people don't see you as someone who's like X and Y. So that's the first one. The second one is feeling less than. So when you when you feel like you're lesser than other people, um, and then the third one is is better than. So some people actually think um, they're better than other people, and when other people don't don't give them that level of respect, they feel triggered. And then the fourth one, um, I forget what the term was. So better than, less than, um, to be seen as, and then I deserve. The fourth trigger is I deserve. Mm-hmm. And she basically says these are the four main triggers that break down society's triggers as a whole. So you might have one trigger that falls within these quadrants, but as long as you know what your, what your main ones are, then you can start to ask yourself questions. Why am I being triggered? What is the reason of this? I like that. I, to be Buddhist and not to tell other people what to do, but I need to work on not being triggered because to me, that's, that's the ego yeah. Right? Like when we're having a conversation and if, uh, if say I get just for example, someone's pronoun wrong and then they lash out at me, it's like, well, how can we make this educational versus like so combative? Mm, yeah. Right? That's you so know. true. I, I, I just, I find that we all, as a, as a, as a conversational society, as if we want to move forward, we really got to work on not appealing to our emotions Mm. and that's triggers, right? I agree with you. We need to be a little less fragile, right? But while, while still being open and vulnerable, you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. Cause I feel like it's also giving people the space to ask some questions just because they don't know. Because I think also um, going back to the left versus right thing, mm-hmm. sometimes people ask questions and, you know, um, people might dismiss it as being stupid or, oh, how could you not know this and attack them back? That could have been such a great educational session if yeah. we were all a little bit more mindful and invited that space for it. You know, That's for example, such- like one of my good family friends, um, she recently went through a transition. So from male to female. And she recently got a girlfriend. So I was super happy for her. And I wasn't being super aware. I was like, well, um, is she also trans like you? But then I realized, wow, why would I make that statement? Why would I just assume that? But she gave me such a great space to talk about. She was like, that's That's totally fine. That's a great question. And she was like, yes, she is. And that's one of the reasons why we connected. That's great. And, And holding that safe space for people. Yeah. And the interesting thing that I have found is that there's more fear. There's more fear that people are, we believe that people are less understanding than they really are. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Like we think, I think that people are so, you know, cancel culture 
kind of thing. But once you start speaking to individuals and it's like a sincere conversation where you well get things wrong, you well, it's just a fact if you're being authentic. Mm -hmm. But people know where you're coming from. It's such a, a wonderful conversation and you just, you get so much out of it when you both know where you're coming from. Totally. It's yeah. a really beautiful thing to be able to disagree, but also be able to see the other person's point of view. Yes. And, and, and come into it with some humility. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, cause, cause people know where you're kind of coming in from. Right. Like, I don't know. Have you seen that interview? Do you, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Oh yeah. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And he does this really interview. Oh, I love that guy. And uh, he does this interview with this, uh, this female reporter and you could tell that she's like leaning into him almost in the interview, like her body language. And he's already aware of that. And he just knows like, okay, this is a confrontational argument. This is not an open dialogue, right? This is like uh, a Catholic priest talking to an atheist about the afterlife. Like <laughs> nobody's walking away here with different opinions. Yeah. So yeah that's that's what i think now lastly um how do we uh how do we hear your podcast what is it what is it called again spend culture stories spend so culture you, stories yeah. yeah so spend as in like you know spending money yes culture as in you know culture and society culture yeah. and organizations spend culture stories um you can search it up on spotify google play or itunes it's all on all three of them or you can just search it on google and you'll you'll find it okay and then Last question. What, what puts you on this drive into, into pursuing ceremony and talking to people about burning, burning man, you know, what made you open your mind? I think I just wanted to become better because um, I was going through this phase of, you know, following rules because like being an Asian female, that's all I was taught. But one day, especially coming to Canada and to a society that's about individualism, I thought, what if the rules that were assigned to me were actually not right? I woke up one day and I asked this question. And so I wanted to find the answers for myself. I wanted to find my own truth because, you know, there's truth in which the textbook call it, but then there's our own truth. So I went on this path of discovery on this. And that was um, one of the decisions where I decided to quit my really corporate job and actually decided to work for myself for a little bit. I went traveling and then um, I met my current partner where he started to introduce me to the idea that each person can make decisions for their own life or his or her life or whatever your pronoun is, your own life. Yes, yes. Yes. And I thought that was such a beautiful thing because it then opens up the possibility towards infinity. It's not just about black or right, white. It's not mm. just about yes or no. It's about like, what do you want to stand for? Wow. That's such a great note to end on. Mm -hmm. Well, Danny, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll keep in touch. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Robert. This was such a fun conversation. You know, I can't believe we're already done. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's fun. And it's, uh, it's, it always goes off on tangents and I couldn't ask for anything else. That's, that's just the way I am. So that's the best type of conversations because, <laughs> yes. you know, you get passionate about something and then you go over here, here, here. Yeah. And then, but the, the interesting thing I noticed is that as far out as you go, 
if you're, you know, in the present moment, it does bring itself back and ties into all the other crazy things that you talk about. So true. We've got yeah. some good themes in this one. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we'll be sure to check out spend culture stories. Yep. You got it. Okay. Thank you. Once again, that was Danny Howe. Be sure to check her out. Her podcast is Spend Culture Stories. Um, there was a lot that I was picking up from our conversation, and I was just going through my notes, and the one that really stuck out was, well, one among many, but the one that I was like, mm, I want to bring that up with my audience. And that's the idea of when you wake up in the morning, you can be above or below your line. And when you're below your line, identifying some ways to raise yourself up to, to get above it, right? Having that awareness piece. And as, I've, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize, like, oh, man, I'm really feeling shitty today. I got to do something to raise myself up. I need to go to the gym. I need to read a book. I need to encourage other people and tell them how awesome they are because, you know, I'm selfish and I just want to make myself feel better. I'm kidding, of course. But really, when you raise yourself up, when you are above the line, the fact of the matter is, is that you're going to be raising other people up too. When you're below the line, you're going to be dragging others down. So what's one way that you can raise yourself up or, or multiple ways you can raise yourself above your line? And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. I so value your 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 time and being a part of this this show and this this progress this journey that we're on and I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care.